listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. So this passage of scripture that Caleb just read to us from 1 Peter um, is a pretty famous one, and it has a significant kind of history of effect. It was one of those texts that really formed the Protestant Reformation. It was this idea that when Peter refers to the church or the people of God as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, it's this idea that the verbiage that got kind of rearranged around that statement is that uh, Protestants believe in a priesthood of all believers. Have you heard that term before? No? Yes? Priesthood of all believers? It's interesting because it's not actually a, a, a phrase that occurs in Scripture, but it's a phrase that occurs a lot in kind of uh, Christian circles. It's kind of like um, freedom of religion. We talk about that phrase as though it's in the Constitution. That exact phrase is not in the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution. I guess the concept is. So the concept of a priesthood of all believers is in scriptures, even though the phrase is not. But a royal priesthood, a holy nation, this idea that, that everyone might function as a priest. Now, in the kind of since Martin Luther and the Reformation, that phrase has been used in a lot of ways to kind of, I don't know, to resist the role of priest, or maybe uh, to maybe resist the role even of kind of ordained ministers altogether. But I grew up in a tradition, and we weren't just kind of Pentecostals. We also identified ourselves often over and against other groups, right? And so um, uh, sometimes I've even heard people kind of use the phraseology, well, I was Catholic, but now I'm Christian, which is an interesting phraseology, right? Because um, we're talking about the church believing in the Creator, who uh, called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose one and only son is Jesus Christ, who lived and died and was resurrected. I mean, those beliefs are shared by Christians across the globe, whether they're Coptic or whether they're Ethiopian or whether they're Orthodox or whether they're Catholic or whether they're Protestant or Evangelical or even Pentecostals and Charismatics, like kind of everybody is included in that group. So... A number of years ago, I found myself at the University of Pennsylvania. I was there for an academic conference, but it was over a weekend, and so there wasn't anything planned for Sunday morning, so I thought I would go to church. This is kind of before the time of Uber. It's been a few years ago, and uh, I was a younger person at that time, and I didn't have any money. <laughs> you know, you're poor when you're young, and so you can laugh at that. That's okay. And then, so I thought I'd still wanted to go to church, so I just walked to the closest church from where I was staying, and I was staying on campus. So I, I, I walked just, a, I mean, maybe a quarter of a mile, and then I saw a church not far in the distance, so I said, I'll go to that one. It was literally the closest church. As it turns out, it was the Episcopal Cathedral of Philadelphia. And when I got there, um, the service was about to start, and I noticed, man, there is a fair amount of young people here. I would find out later that there was a group of seminarians who were visiting the cathedral that day. 
So we had the they had the service, and then uh, there was an announcement that the seminarian uh, group group of students were going to stay and meet with the dean of the cathedral, and there was going to be like a, a tour of the facility. And I thought, man, I'd like to be a part of that. So I just kind of got in line. <laughs> you know, I just kind of following along with everybody else, kind of invited myself to the group, and. Uh, amongst the other things, uh, the, the dean of the cathedral there, his name is Richard Giles, and he had recently at that time, so now it's, I don't know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, he had written a new book, and it was called Repitching Our Tent, like restructuring um, the way we do things, like architecturally and the, the way we kind of practice the faith, because he says the, the structure that we do will kind of shape us. And there were several things that the students had a lot of questions about why do you do it this way and why did you not do it that way? And um, they had taken out the red carpet and they take it out the wood pews and they put in a stone floor. And it was just, I don't know, it was a very different feel um, from your typical Episcopal church. And one of the things they did, they had you know, the scripture reading, not unlike what we do. Uh, it wasn't read by the minister, but it was read by someone in the congregation. And they came to a podium Right, and they, they read the text, but before they did so, they walked over to the dean who was kind of serving as the minister for the service, and he took his stole off, the, the stole is the, the sash that the minister wears, and he put it on the person, and then they went and read, and then when they were done, they kind of took the stole and kind of gave it back. And so one of the students said, I've never seen that before. Why did you, why did you do it that way? And he said, well, the stole is kind of a representation of an anointing of an ordination of a, of a calling by God. Like, it's, uh, there's a certain amount of authority that's kind of spiritual authority that's represented there. And that the person, when they're reading the text, um, they're kind of functioning in that priestly role. They're kind of reading, reading the, the scriptures kind of for the community. And so they're playing the role of the minister in that given moment. And so another student ask what I thought was a very perceptive question. Well, why don't you just have extras, right? Why don't you just have some for people to wear while they're participating in the service that way? And that would streamline. You wouldn't have this kind of awkwardness of someone kind of coming over and having to receive it from you and then having to go back. It's like it was cumbersome was the kind of comment. And he said, look, um, we, don't, we don't believe in the Protestant heresy of a priesthood of all believers. <laughs> I'm like, What? You, you don't believe in a priesthood of all believers. And what do you mean? What do you mean heresy? So um, I was trying to keep my mouth shut, right? Because I hadn't been invited to be there. <laughs> but I couldn't. Excuse me, Dean. What do you, what do you mean by uh, heresy, Protestant heresy of a priesthood of all believers? And he's like, who are you? <laughs> I'm Robbie Waddell. I teach New Testament at a Pentecostal college in Florida. I was in town at a conference, and, and I came to church, and then you invited people, people, <laughs> seminarians to stay, so I thought I would. And so he said, well, he said the role that they have uh, is a role that they're playing. Like, in this service, he, he was serving as the priest, and so he was kind of saying that authority that he has is being shared with that person as they play that role. And then that, that shared authority is kind of being returned. It's not, 
it's not this uh, anything goes and ev everybody's good to go. So this is how I was taught a priesthood of all believers when I was young. You don't need an intermediary, as Hebrews says, right? We always can find a, a, a passage of scripture to support whatever it is we believe in. <laughs> I don't know, did you not experience that growing up? So they said, as Hebrews says, we have one intermediary, and that's Jesus Christ. So we don't need any others. So I thought what a priesthood of, of believers meant was that because I was a priest, I could go to God on my own behalf, and I didn't need anybody else to go, on, go to God for me. And he's like, that's exactly the heresy that I'm talking about. Priests aren't people that go to God for themselves. Priests are people who go to God on behalf of others. And when Peter says, we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, it does mean that any one of us at any given time might function priestly. But to function priestly is to care for other people. To function priestly is to intercede. To function priestly is to hear a confession. To function priestly is for your heart to break when someone else is in trouble. To function priestly is to offer a service of love and attention. Like, that's what it means to be priests, not that we don't need them. I mean, think of the logic of that. If you are all priests, does that mean we don't need them or we need more of them? It's the latter, right? It, it means we need more of them. We need everybody functioning this way. So let's try and get into the mind of Peter. So Peter, of course, was Jewish, and he's from the first century in the second temple period. He knew what priests did, right, at the temple. And in, in Judaism, there was um, a tribe, right, the Levites, and they served as priests for the rest of the nation, but according to the Hebrew prophets, there was a belief that the nation of Israel as a whole kind of functioned as a nation of priests for the world. Like their relationship to God was such, it was similar or analogous to the, the Levi's relationship to the rest of them. And certainly I think this is what Peter is believing when he says that now the church, right, the people of Jesus Christ or a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There's an old story that says that uh, there were two stonecutters, and one was asked, what are you doing? And he responded, I'm cutting a stone. And the other asked, was asked, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. You see, it takes hundreds of years in the ancient world to build a cathedral. And someone who might be cutting a particular stone might not see the finishing of the cathedral. My favorite cathedral is the York Minster in York in England, and it took 250 years for it to be built. Think of that. That's about the age of the United States. I'm not good with math. 1776, 2023. How old is the U.S.? Say again. We are? So that's the same age as the U.S., roughly speaking. Right? That's how long it took, takes to build a cathedral. And so this is what our cornerstone, to borrow from Psalm 118, our cornerstone is, is the stone that was rejected. And that stone is none other than Jesus Christ. And he is now our foundation on which we're building. But we are living stones, right? 
We, we are stones being built into the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that means that we, as living stones, unlike dead stones, can move around and we can do things. We can see things. We can say things. We can experience things. And it's in our living as living stones. It's in our moving. It's in our being that we will play the role of priest, that we will care for one another and that we'll care for others that we don't, that we don't even know. I think we can find this even in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not just a personal prayer because when Jesus um, taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray a prayer that was in the first person plural. It's our Father, not my Father. It's give us this day our daily bread, not give me my daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, right? As we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. And, and I don't want to be pedantic. I don't want to get kind of lost in the details of the minutia of the story. But I, I don't think that's insignificant. That the fact that the prayer is in the first person plural says it's communal. Says that it's, it's us. We are the ones who are praying. And it, it's, it's for our good. And it's, and it's for the good of the world. Sometimes I've heard the Lord's Prayer referred to as seven petitions, right? And I think certainly there's, there's a way in which that's not incorrect, right? Petitions are being made to God to do certain things. Let your name be sanctified, right? Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. That's three. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts um, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation and deliver us from evil. There you go, right? Those are the seven petitions. But if we really embrace this idea of a priesthood of all believers, and we really take seriously the first-person plural nature of this prayer, we, get, we start to realize these are not just um, petitions. They are intercessions. Because we're not just asking the Lord for ourselves, we're asking the Lord on behalf of others. And once you start to talk to God on behalf of others, you are starting to function priestly, right? You're starting to function as a part of this living stone, this royal nation, this holy priesthood, as, as Peter would say. And I, and I think that's exactly what we're called to. Uh, again, kind of growing up in the Appalachian Mountains, um, we used to hear and even say about ourselves that all Pentecostals are preachers. <laughs> and we like that about ourselves, right? We like the fact that we were really committed to evangelism and that we were ready on a moment's no notice, right, to tell our testimony. <laughs> that was our first song we sang. This is my testimony, right? We, 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 we love that. And I love it too. And when Caleb read for us the passage this morning from Acts, it's a story about Stephen. Now, let's remember who Stephen is, right? There was division in the early church. The Hebraic Jewish widows were well cared for, but the Hellenistic Jewish widows, the ones who were more Greek in their culture and language, were not being cared for. And so somebody cried foul, and the, the apostles said, well, 
We're going to reserve for ourselves the responsibility for prayer and preaching, but we're going to delegate to some of you these cares for these widows, particularly these kind of Hellenist widows. And on the list of people who was selected is this man, Stephen. So we know something about him is that he was selected to care for the widows. We imagine that he did that, or he was what he was selected for. But the story that we're told about Stephen is not a story of him caring for widows, but rather is a story of him preaching, which is exactly what the apostles said they were going to reserve for themselves. And then the next person in the story who is preaching is Philip. Not Philip of the Twelve, but Philip the Evangelist, we call him. Even there, just hear the phrase, Philip the Evangelist. The other person is, again, one of the deacons, one of the servers who is now speaking. What I love about that story is this. Sometimes in our structures, we like to say, we're going to have certain people do certain things, right? Well, Robbie's going to preach the sermon, and we're going to have Caleb kind of read the scriptures, and then Danny's going to come do the prayers. But listen, we can make all the plans we want to. God's going to do what God's going to do. And God's going to work through people in living ways that's going to amaze us. So I, I might say, yeah, I'm going to reserve, you know, this kind of prayer and this kind of this study of Scripture. But I happen to know that, that at any given time, God might call on Aaron or God might call on Ed or God might call on Lisa or God might call on Carol, right? Just like he did with Stephen, and just like he did with Philip. So Stephen, of course, is in all sorts of trouble. And he's actually in the process of being executed. When he says, I see the Lord. And he's standing at the right hand of the throne. And then we know that Stephen is a living stone. We know that Stephen is now playing the role of the priest, of the minister. Because as Stephen is being stoned to death, he says, Father, forgive them. You know who that sounds like, right? As Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And so Stephen becomes this kind of ideal example for us about how to live as a living stone, how to embrace this vocation of, of being a part of the priesthood of all believers. So you might not have uh, thought of it this way because maybe, maybe the term uh, priest is, is too far out of your typical uh, verbiage. But, but believe this, that I, we, we say it sometimes, you know, God has no grandchildren. God only has children, right? There's, there's, there's never, as Kierkegaard would say, there's never something between us and God, right? We, stare, we stand in fear and trembling before the Lord God Almighty. It is, it, it is us and then bam, there's God. But because of that, we are called to serve. We are called to be like Christ, we are called to be living stones. We are called to be priests. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. 
If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.